We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Michael Coney has another schedule question. Mitchell. What is? Wow, you're right, Mitchell Coney. Thank I've you. That. Thank you for uh, the English lesson because I can't read apparently. So, what is one team you would like to see Notre Dame play more often, and why? We've kind of talked about this a little bit in the past. Yeah, um, we talked about this a ton. I, I my my answer is always the same, Vince. Well, it has been the last couple times. I would like them to see Tennessee. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really think that there's a lot, like we just talked about Vanderbilt, you know, getting into the Tennessee area. I also think that there's a little a bit, bit of an underlying layer where like you would like to go against a team that is very NIL centric, right? They're, they're kind of doing it a completely different way than you're doing it and show that it's not as big of an, as, of, of an yeah. advantage. Let them buy their thing. players, go down to right. Knoxville, beat their brains in right. and, and then produce a ton more NFL draft picks that make a ton more money. And right. eventually you can show kids, look, exactly. you can go there as an offensive line. You can go there for a million dollars, Mr. Le- five-star left tackle, and make a million dollars, not get developed, and turn into Trey Smith and be a six-round draft pick. Or you can make $100,000 here, come here, get developed, and be a top-10 NFL draft pick. Hmm. But, hey, you know what? You decide. Go for it. Right. right. And that's what a lot of kids are I mean, Ryan, you talked to Braylon James's dad. That was part of their decision-making process. He had a lot more guaranteed money on the table at other places than he did Notre Dame. That's true for Keon Keeley. That's true for a lot of kids in his Notre Dame class. But they still made the decision because these kids are a lot more savvy than a lot of people think, and they're not as short-sighted as a lot of us think that they are or that we would be And, and from a projection standpoint. Well, if somebody offered me a million dollars, I'd take it. Well, okay, but not if going somewhere else for less meant you could make 20 down the road. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the difference. Mm-hmm. And these kids are smart. These kids, Absolutely. a lot of these kids, not all of them, but that's true for adults too. These kids are a lot more savvy Absolutely. than people think. That's why kids don't leave programs like, well, if, I, if I didn't play, I'd leave. Well, if, if kids acted as rash and as emotionally as fans did, you'd have 95% of rosters going into the transfer portal every offseason. Because yep. every kid not starting or getting enough of his touches would be in the transfer portal. Right? Every number two receiver down on a roster would be in the portal. You know, every backup player in the country, every backup quarterback in the country would be in the portal. That's how it would be if, if they reacted as 
as emotionally as a lot of us adults think that they that we would act or they should act in the similar situations. Good point. So what team are you putting on the schedule? Mine's the same as Ryan's, Tennessee. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like, we're going to do a schedule soon. I mean, I've, I've said that plenty of times. Uh, and Mitchell, we're going to have a show coming up. I think it might be next week. Vince and I got to get together on our schedules for the next couple of weeks. But I think the whole ideal schedule thing is on the, is going to be on the docket for next week. Now Ooh. that we've kind of got through the four Ooh. quarters and all that kind of stuff Ooh. of the 2022 schedule, okay. uh, we're going to have that, Vince, where we're going to kind of have a, you know, what would be an ideal Notre Dame schedule? Okay. You know, how would the structure of it? And then get into some specifics of who we would really like to see Notre Dame play. So we'll do okay. all that next week. Good. Well, I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to, you know, give out my, you know, what, where I would go down that road if we're going to do a whole show on it because that sounds like fun. It's, um, for, it's a teaser. But, you can say who yeah. it is and then you can explain why. I've talked about this next week. Uh, so if anybody's listened in the past, then they're, they're you know, going to know what I have to say here. But I would still like to have Purdue on the schedule a little bit more often. I do like the the series with Michigan State. Um, so I would say a couple of Big Ten teams. I enjoy beating Big Ten teams because um, I'm not a big fan of the Big Ten. And they're a pretty strong conference overall, so I wouldn't mind playing more Big Ten teams mm-hmm. more often. So um, I, I will I will say that. But other than that, there there are some other teams out there that I would like to have on the schedule as a more of a rotational situation, not necessarily every year. You know what I mean? I, I think they need to watch their every year because there's definitely an every year one I want to get rid of. That is it's time that like that ship has sailed for me. So You're talking about Stanford. I am talking about okay. yes, yeah. 100%. And we'll kind of get into all that kind of stuff, yeah. Vince. I, I would say this in response to you. If Notre Dame had, if you, if Notre Dame decided, and this is something we'll talk about next week, because mm-hmm. I think this is, I think there is merit to saying you need like three to four rivalries per year, meaning it doesn't always have to be a team. Right. You're going to play a second West Coast team every year. You're going to play a Midwestern team every year. Right. And you're going to rotate it. Sure. Like I like the Wisconsin game. Right. To be honest with you. As a but big if fan. if I had to get a, a Big Ten team regularly on the schedule, for me, it'd be Michigan State. Okay. Because that's the that's the that's the rivalry that I think there's more t- for Notre Dame to win that. Like there's nothing in it for Notre Dame. Purdue hasn't been relevant to where you get anything out of that win for a long time since Drew Brees was here, right? And then before him, it was even a long time, you know, he was kind of the blip on the radar. It just crazy. Uh, pretty much yeah i mean exactly you know they've had their years here and there but overall it just there's not a lot to it michigan state's had some teams where if you beat them boy that's a big resume builder but even beyond that i you know the reason i i hate the big 10 and would never want Notre Dame to join the big 10 is because of how everything transpired over decades and the anti-catholicism and all that and i'm not catholic but just the way in which I was treated, and it's one of the reasons I hate Michigan as a football institution and as an institution period for so many different reasons. But the one program that always had Notre Dame's back all those times, all those years, when when they were the Western Conference and they were trying to get in, was Michigan State. Michigan State has always shown a level of loyalty to Notre Dame and a respect to Notre Dame that I feel I would be okay honoring that. I just would, unless circumstances change and, and the institution was no longer that institution. But if Michigan State wanted to say, hey, look, we really want to establish a rivalry with you again, I'd say, hey, maybe we can't do it every single year. We'll go, you know, six on, two off, six on, two off or something. Uh, I would That would be the one I'd be okay with. I'm, I don't think they need a Big Ten rival, but if they were going to have one, for me, 
it would be Michigan State okay. for a, a host of reasons. And that's like my number two, and it's a very yeah. close number right. two. I do respect right. Michigan State a lot right. uh, for many reasons, but we'll get into all that. Right. I, I, and and Purdue's a, Purdue makes a lot of sense geographically. It's just I don't think – Notre Dame doesn't need the Purdue game to keep in in state kids in state, and they don't. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like Michigan State. There's value you know, going beating Michigan State. You go into that state. There's kids that you want that you can't necessarily just get whenever you want them. I think there'd be a lot more, a lot more to it than that. So nice. it, it it seems like that program is a little bit on the upswing too with um with the coach. Uh, what's his name? He came yeah, from Mel Tucker. Colorado. Mel Tucker. Yeah, yeah. Mel he's Tucker. doing a pretty good pretty good job there. And historically, at least in my lifetime, Notre Dame's had a lot of good games against Michigan State. Yeah, really games. good battles. Yeah, I mean even even early on, uh, Brian Kelly's tenure. You know, year one in 2010, you have a little Giants. 2011, you know they're ranked. You you smack them around a little bit. 2012, they ended up not being a good team, but Notre Dame goes on the road. They're ranked in the top ten. That game served as sort of a you know, a little bit of a mini springboard for Notre Dame. 2013, you end up beating Michigan State. They go on to finish 13-1 and one and ranked yeah. third. You know, uh, you look at the back-to-back games that Brady Quinn played against Michigan State, which were classic games. You know, Michigan State gets out to big leads in both years. Notre Dame ties it in the first year, and then Michigan State wins in overtime. Great game. Uh, was, that the, was, that, was that the Charlie Gant fake field goal? Was that that one? You remember what I'm talking about? I, no, oh, that was I a little later. That was a little later. That was 2010. Remember, yeah. 2010, yeah, yeah. They just beat yeah. Notre Dame in overtime at Notre Dame Stadium. Oh, then a year that, later, that was Drew Stanton. That was Drew Stanton. Yeah, and then a year yeah. later, Notre Dame falls way behind. It's pouring down rain. Brady goes off in the second half. They're, they tie the game up, and then uh, did they tie it up? And then Terrell Lambert intercepted that pass, or were they down? And he went and intercepted that pass. I forget, but it was they charged all the way back. Brady threw that gorgeous go route to Raymond McKnight in the rain. If you remember that, like just dropped it over his left shoulder. Samarja catches the slant route, jukes outside, you know, big touchdown run. You know, had a big play to Jung. I mean, just that was such a classic game. And then watching John L. Smith run up the sideline, then just like have this like what just happened look on his face which was classic john l smith they've had so many great i mean and and look i wrote an article recently uh which would have been on the 99th birthday of of coach parsegian you go back to the 66 game you know the 10 10 tie that that essentially secured Notre Dame's spot in the national championship game since it was on the road against number two and you didn't have nick eddie you didn't have you had some guys down i think your quarterback was hurt that game and you're still able to tie them and that's you know secured your national championship so to me, that would be that would be a, uh, a a rivalry that I'd be okay, I'd be okay bringing back, much more so than Michigan. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Tommy Gunn says, which coach do you think would want to be the one to replace Nick Saban at Alabama? Championship or bust the first year? The one who wants a huge pay raise. Yeah, and, and look, coaches have egos, guys. Like, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but it's like the five-star quarterback coming in after a five-star quarterback, you know, in the recruiting class. Like, coaches aren't afraid to compete. Like, I don't think they're – a lot of coaches, I would say. They're not afraid to compete, but they're also not stupid. They're not stupid, but at the same time, if you're right. offering a coaching job at Alabama, you're probably going to take it because there's a lot of – I'm not. To go nope, there. I'm not. Well, I want to be Urban Meyer, not Ron Zook. You're you're smart. You're not. You're. you're well, I not think ever- most successful coaches that would be in the running for the Alabama job aren't idiots. I think there's one coach that's dumb enough and spiteful enough to try to take that job if he's still coaching and Saban's around, and that's Jimbo. That's Jimbo. I think Jimbo could be that moron that thinks I'm going to go there, and I, I'm not talking nearly fast enough to be Jimbo. But I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. I'm going to win. I'm going to make Linux. I'm going to look at it. You know, whatever the nonsense. Your, your, voice, your voice is your voice isn't high enough, sir. Yeah. You need to get a but little like, higher. Like people say Dabo. Why Why would Dabo take that job? He's not leaving Clemson anytime. I realize he's a he's an alum. Right. About- but that's what people think. Well, the guy played here, so clearly he's just going to drop whatever he's doing to come here. You know, like I've All never right. understood that. I, I don't I – don't, I, I think it'll be a promotion from within or it'll be a former assistant who's somewhere – like I could see, you know, like – um you know, like just to say Brian Dabble's like not things aren't going great with the Giants, you know, trying to get out and go to Bama. Maybe something like that or a promotion of an assistant. Like I saw there was a the new Lindy's came out and there was actually an article, Vince. It's funny that we have this question. Where's the map? Here it is. And they actually had an article in it, which I thought was weird, uh, that who would be the five coaches that would have it could replace Nick Saban if he left Alabama? Really? Which, yeah, it was very strange question. It was like, why are we talking about this, first yeah. of all? But uh, I'm, I'm going to pull this up because it was, very, yeah, the seven coaches who could succeed Nick Saban. And and none of them really made a lot of sense to me, except, you know, like, well, only one or two. But it was, it was Billy Napier, which it's kind of like, okay, I get that. He coached at Bama, but, like, why would you leave Florida – to go to Bama, unless it was like I said, a huge Bama's, you know, Florida's only going to pay you five million a year and Bama's going to play you 10. Okay, sure. Dabo doesn't make sense. Kirby Smart. Why the heck would Kirby Smart leave that's Georgia to go to Alabama? That's like, a ladder. You're out of your mind. Bill O'Brien, that one I could see because of the, the promotion. Lane Kiffin, I could see because I think Lane is one of those people that's arrogant enough to think rightfully so that he could maybe go be successful there steve sarkees and again why would you leave texas to go to alabama and then lincoln riley again doesn't make sense why would you leave usc to go to bama if, if lincoln riley's going to leave usc he's going to go to the nfl right that's where he's going he's not but he he's not going to go he's not going to leave usc to go to alabama i don't Bill O'Brien and lane kiffin are about the only ones on that list that make sense unless florida's not because there's been some questions raised about is Florida really willing to commit the financial resources to football that they need to to stay up with the other SEC teams? That's been something I've heard people raise that question before. And and that could be – it could be something like that, Vince, where a guy's a great coach, but they're just not willing to pay him money. You know what I mean? Like a Brian Kelly type yeah. of scenario where, you know, I've been here and I want a new challenge and they're going to throw me twice the money I was making somewhere else. Maybe something like that, but it's not going to be like Dabo, Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley. Like that kind of coach is not like Ryan Day's not leaving Ohio State to go to Alabama, for example. Like, and he wasn't mentioned, but I'm just making that point. It wouldn't be something right. like that. It won't be a Marcus Freeman. 
you know, because again, why did Marcus Freeman pick Notre Dame over LSU? He took less money to come to Notre Dame than LSU as a defensive coordinator. Why? He wants to live in the North. That's where he's from. Right. He Every one of his Midwest. Right. Right. Mid- Midwest. Yeah. Right. Right. Brian, do you, do you remember? Because uh, obviously, I know Nick Saban obviously had his you know his his coaching career in college before Alabama with Michigan State and LSU, and then he's with the Dolphins briefly. Do you remember? Because Mike Shula was the coach before Saban. What was his background before he got hired? Do you have any idea? Do you remember that Nick at Saban? All? Uh, Mike Shula before he got well, hired. Mike Shula at played at Alabama. Okay, so that was kind of his connection. But I believe Mike Shula had been mostly an NFL guy. Let me. Yes, gotcha. he was the Dolphins' quarterback coach, Tampa Bay Buccaneers' offensive coordinator, Bears, Dolphins, Buccaneers. He had only ever been an NFL guy, but he gotcha. played at Bama. Gotcha. That was the connection there. Mm-hmm. And and so you know Mike DeBoard was an assistant, the guy that he replaced, not not Mike DeBoard, uh, Mike DeBoys, Mike DeBoard's the guy from Central Michigan, uh, but uh, Mike DeBose is was the guy that replaced uh, my, that Mike Shula replaced, and I believe he was an assistant. No, he replaced. I forgot this. I always forget about the Dennis Franchione era. Uh, I always forget about that one. But yeah, Mike the Mike the Bose replaced Gene Stallings, and then Dennis Franchione was there for two years, which is a huge mistake leaving TCU to go to Alabama. And uh, and 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 he was an assistant at Alabama, I believe. So that's yeah, he was the defensive coordinator in '96. He was the D line coach from '90 to '95 also from 83 to 86, and he played at Bama. So they've had a lot of those. They had a lot of those situations where, you know, they were hiring guys that were, you know, former Alabama people, you know, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of where they went to. And uh, Gene Stallings didn't play at Alabama, but he was an assistant there. He was, but wasn't he one of the junction boys? Wasn't Gene Stallings one of the junction boys with Barrett Texas A&M? I'm not sure about that. The only, the only, the up. only, the only name I ever remember is John David Crow because he won the Heisman back then. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I could be wrong on that, but I'd, I'd be, I'd be curious if anybody remembers that if he was one of the Junction Boys or if he was part of that, that whole, that whole thing. So, anyway, so yeah, good questions, good questions. Domer Grizz, which, if any, recruiting tactics that popped up during COVID, like uh, during the COVID no travel periods, for example, virtual campus tours have continued even after in-person campus visits are allowed. Zoom meetings. A lot of face-to-face Zoom meetings. Where in the past it'd be phone calls right. and DMs and stuff right. like that. A lot, yeah. of Zoom, a lot of face-to-face Zoom meetings. That's a good point. I, I do know that for a fact, that, that coaches are scheduling Zoom meetings as opposed yeah. to phone calls these and days. Just, I think it expedited the use of social media as a way to impact, to, to you know, using graphics and things like that as a way to impact right. it. Any others, Ryan, that you've seen? I mean, I think that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. I was going to say the vir- – I don't know if they – if how much the virtual tours are kind of used, but that's an interesting tactic. They'll still use them. Everything. Yeah. They'll still use them. It's just not as much. You had to do it before. Right, yeah. right. right. It's, not necess- I mean, it's not necessity anymore. It's mm-hmm. still going to want to get on campus. I mean, right. the, I think the virtual stuff is more like, okay, you can't make it. Here's what – maybe we can entice you to come using this you know, right. give you your flavor. Cause I mean, I think we can all agree. There's nothing like being on campus. No, no. Care what school, no. whatever you do. You Notre know. Dame is, is unique in that it, it can create, I just got a text from a buddy who said that Gene Stallings was a member of the junction boys. Someone in the chat, someone in the chat yeah. just said it too. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because that was, he was, that was when bear was at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, so again, there's always been sort of that connection. I think Nick Sape, Dennis Franchione, I don't know what his connection was, but for the most part, they were going with Alabama connections there. And, and Ryan, that could be a thing too, where they find someone who who has a connection. Maybe it's never someone who never coached under Saban. Yeah. It's someone who played at Alabama back in the day who's coaching now. It could be that too. Yeah, but it I was, won't well, be I like was... Dabo. It won't be Bear. I mean, it won't be Ryan right. Day. It won't be Marcus Freeman. It won't be Kirby. Right. right. You know. So uh, yeah, I, I was curious whether the the route would mostly be the next hot you know, college football, you know, coach that maybe isn't quite at an Ohio state level, or if it's going to be an NFL guy but, or like, know? would it be, would they be willing to get a, the next Billy Napier? That would be a question that I would have. Would they be right. willing to do that? And I think they would, if they got turned down by enough of the big names, like they're going to shoot probably for big names, unless it was like a, you know, like if they had a Joe Brady coming up as an assistant coach, like it won't be like Pete Golding, won't be it won't be him it won't be you know what i mean like it'll be somebody like that but that's the thing is we don't know when Saban's going to retire we don't know what name who could be the hot name i mean if he he also had i'm sure that nick saban has a little bit of foresight where he might want to get the next guy on his right. on his staff that's the you know to be named right. guy later right type of thing too where it was like yeah. what bobby bowden and jimbo fisher type of thing you know so right right that didn't turn out so great <laughs> Well, it's just Jimbo did some things that were just not yes. right, you know, because yeah. he's a scumbag. So, yeah, he is. Strongest oh, has, has something here. He says, What's up, guys? If uh, Tyler Buckner, Dante Moore, and Paul Horning, I don't know who's PH. Quarterback named PH? That's a great question. PH. I can't have Paul Horning. That's all I've got. Uh, we're all in the same class. Who did he mean would PJ? Guys- did he mean Phil Dracovic? I can't think of a PH. All I could think of too was if it, maybe it should be a J. Yeah, but we'll say we'll say Phil Dracovic to be safe, right? Yeah, that'd be sure. So because I, I I didn't see uh, Paul Horning come out of high school, so <laughs> he's more of a running back anyway. That's he's true. more of an athlete playing quarterback. <laughs> so Tyler Buckner. Dante Moore. It's funny, Phil you Jer- know Ryan somewhere has like some film of Paul Horning that he's going to go evaluate the gold, later. The, the yeah. Golden Boy. Oh yeah, yeah. Man. that's right. Yeah, it's probably more Packers stuff, but right, you know. Well, I mean, number one, we have to look at it from the standpoint of uh, if all things are being equal, you would take who. Well, the thing is, is that still provides me no context. What offense am I running? Like, that's the thing is like, am I running Tommy Reese's offense? If I was, I'd probably lean towards Dante Moore because I think Tommy Reese wants a guy that can drop back and throw the football. You know, if I'm running, if I'm running Clemson's offense, I'd probably take Tyler Buckner, or Phil Dracovic, right? Uh, you know, I may go with Phil because he's a bigger kid, you know, phys- more physical kind of guy. If I'm running Ryan Day's offense, I'm going Dante Moore. If I'm running, you know, different type of offenses. It's just going to, it's going to change who I'm taking. If it, you know, I think Lincoln Riley might actually want Tyler Buckner of all those guys, you know, cause if you look at the success he had with like Kyler Murray, you know, and so, and Jalen hurt. So I, it, you have to have some context to it. I think mm-hmm. for me and what I like to do as an offense, you know, just my per my specific style would probably be Dante or Tyler. Just because I I am personally someone who wants a little bit more structure with what I do, but if it was I mean, but here's the at the end of the day, Ryan, mm-hmm. those three options it's win win win. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Which of these quarterbacks do you want? Yes, 
right? Like exactly. if they're all in the same class, who do you want? One of those three. No, no, no. Which <laughs> one do you want? One of those three. No, sir. Mm-hmm. Who do you want? One of those three. I, I'm not, right. I don't have to pick, just recruit them all. And, and whoever you can get, you can get. Cause there's not a, there's not a bad answer. There's not a wrong answer. It, no. So it, that's why it comes down to your specific style of play right. and what you would like. If Mike Dembrock was still at Notre Dame, I'd probably go with, you know, maybe Phil a little bit because he needed more of that fit that, you know, that playmaker, maybe Tyler, uh, you know, but I mean, they're, they're all great options. They're all great. Yeah. Options. It's, it's scheme dependent for me, right? Like if I'm running a vertical based offense, I'm, I want Phil Dracovic. I think that that kind of fits his skill set. If I want right. a more of a West coast pro style system, then I'm, I'm probably leading Dante Moore. But if I have a, a system where I'm a little bit more college spread where I want to utilize Clemson. legs a little bit more like a Clemson, then mm-hmm. I, it's Tyler Buckner. So it really right. depends. I don't, yeah. Good like goal. Brian said, it's not like a, it's not an apples to apples comparison. They're not all, right. sim- they're not similar quarterbacks at all. Any of them. So, so let's say, let's say that we had Clemson and their system as we know it, Ohio state and their system as we know it. And then Notre Dame and their system as we know it. If I were to say, how would I fit them all in? I'd say, Tyler fits best at Clemson. Mm-hmm. And you would then say, I would say Dante Moore probably fits best at, at, at Ohio state, you know, and, and uh, I'm not, actually, I didn't mean to say Notre Dame. I was trying to think of, of um, there was an, an, another a different offense, like s- something that was more of a pocket passer that can run, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I said, Mike Dembrock, in Notre Dame, LSU, right? I mean, if you want to go kind of look at what, what Mike Dembrock has done, then you'd put like a Phil Dracovic there. I, I would even think like, a, I mean, some air raid elements might even work for Phil. That yeah. They run a lot of like vertical oriented type of things, right? right? Like a lot North of Carolina stuff. Right. right. Exactly. Or if the guy can run, you'll use it, but you don't need it per exactly. se. Right. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of some, some of the different offenses. Like, you know where Phil would be great? You know what? I got the perfect one for Phil. So Clemson, Tyler Buckner, Ohio State, Dante Moore, Georgia would be where Phil Dracovic would be a monster because mm-hmm. it's a pro style offense, vertical stuff. But you got that quarterback that can go make plays with his legs, put the team on his shoulders. That would be the if we're going to take Notre Dame out of the equation and just look at you know where what type of offense that would be where I would fit Phil. I'll just. I, I'll just speak for everybody in the chat that you, you said three different times Dante Moore to Ohio State, and it just gave me, like, I didn't like it. So He's not looking at Ohio State. We're just, just if saying. You, if you take Notre Dame out of the equation and you're trying to find an offense right. that, like, recruits that style of I player, know. that would be it. I know. If, I just, if, if, know. if Ryan would have said, like, Texas A&M or something. That yeah, right. A little bit. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I picked a school that's not looking at it. Like, oh, Oregon. You know, like, oh, yeah. shut up. Uh, no, of the schools Dante's looking at in this class, Notre Dame is clearly the best fit for him because right. they are a pro-style offense. Right, absolutely. And that's why I said with what Tommy likes to do, I think that Dante would be, of the three, the one he would pick. Because he wants – Tommy Reese is perfectly fine with a quarterback that does not run the football. Right, yes, Perfectly he is. fine. He's also smart enough to know that if I have one, there's a reason he went after Jack Cohn last year. Right, because he was perfectly fine with a guy that can't run, just sitting back in the pocket, picking people apart and running my offense. He's totally fine with it. He's also smart enough to realize if you have a Tyler Buckner, you use you're a him. moron if you don't use it. Right, exactly. And 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 so he'll take the best kid available. 
and coach him up. I believe that about Coach Reese. And I believe he's learned from his mistakes of how he handled Phil. I do. But if I were to say who is the best fit of those three, as I said before, it would be Dante Moore. Okay. Great questions, everybody. I know, really right? Good questions. To we're, we're only up to like 1230. Oh, uh, Hulk Strongest <laughs> says, do you guys think that Cam will be able to shut down whoever he is defending? I, I think the Ohio State game is going to be a big test. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, mean are, we, are we are we talking like a full season scope for the most part? Or are we talking about Ohio State in the first game? Because, I mean, you're going to lose some reps against Jackson Smith and Jigba or Marvin Harrison Jr. Sure. It's about it's about the the, the totality much. of things. Yeah, right, yeah. right. I mean, you're going to it's a, the best thing about a cornerback, in my opinion, is a short term memory because you're going to get beat sometimes. Like it's just going sure. to happen. Right? right. It's about. How much do you limit? Like you need to limit a large portion of it, but it's also Ryan a a certain corners, and this is true of everybody. There were, there were guys that Deion Sanders would maybe have a little bit more trouble with than he would others. It's also about style and Cam being a six two and a half six three corner. I would much rather have him stacked up against Jackson Smith and Jigba than I would Josh Downs. It doesn't mean that necessarily that. that Josh Downs is better than Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's just the point of Cam's style of playing. His primary strengths are going to fit better against what Jackson Smith and Jigba's strengths are than they would Josh Downs, depending on the scenario and how that they're used, right? So, like with Jackson Smith and Jigba, you're mostly going to be on the outside. Where with Josh Downs, you're you know if you're gonna if you're gonna say, hey, look, go follow that guy wherever you're going to go, they're just going to put you in a slot all day and have you chase laterally against him all day and i don't think that's necessarily where you want cam to be agreed that's the other thing it's like with anything it's about matchups and what style are you more effective against like you know like usc i would say that mario williams would probably be a little tougher matchup for for cam hart than jordan addison i don't think mario williams is a better player than jordan addison i just think their style of play is such that one presents a tougher matchup than the other Whereas Tariq Bracey matches up better against Mario Williams than he would against Jordan Addison. He would match up better against Josh Downs than he would Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's about a lot of it's about style too. But yeah, I, I, I'm not afraid of any matchup with Cam Hart. I just know that there's some guys that are going to give him a l- little tougher time than, than maybe others, which is true of every cornerback in the country. Yes, no question about that. Colin Park. Assuming Jordan Hall commits in July after taking his officials and Jaden Osbury is still uncommitted, how will the staff handle that situation? We'll keep recruiting Jaden Osbury. Right, right. I yes, I, I mean it's 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 very simple. Jaden Osbury is always going to be a take for Notre Dame. I've said this on the board a few times. It's I I for one, if it came down to a one for one spot, like a one spot, and you have Hall and Osbury you're going to wait on Osbury. Like you're just going to, right? So Notre Dame's always going to take Jaden Osbury. It's not going to be a question in my mind. Blaine Tiller says, what do you think of the Big 12 losing and gaining uh, new schools? Do you think they will be better off overall with the new media markets and help in recruiting? I don't think they're better off. Mm -mm. No. I mean, look, you could say, well, they're adding four and losing two. But their two they're losing are, are are worth more than the four they're adding. And adding the Provo, Utah, Salt Lake City market doesn't make up for, you know, what you might lose from the Dallas or, you know, the fan bases right. from Texas and Oklahoma. Cincinnati, 
And there's a reason the Cincinnati Reds suck because it's a small market. It's a big city, but it's a small market. You know, uh, Central Florida is a big city, but it's not a football, college football town. And the, the college football, fa- it's not a UCF college football town. It's a college football town, but it's Florida, Florida State, Miami, Bama. I mean, you see all types of different scenarios there. It's a bit of a transplant town. Uh, so I don't think in Houston's Houston's the one that adds value. Houston, as far as just financial value, market and all that, Houston probably adds the most value. But people in Houston were kind of already watching the Big 12, right? Like I just so, you know, I it there's no way for me to spin, Blaine. I'm not saying that you're asking me to. There's no way for me to spin losing Texas and Oklahoma is a good thing in, in from the standpoint of a financial decision, overall quality of the league. Where I do think it's good for the Big 12 is now you have 12 schools on a more equal footing to where you don't have that team like Texas that's just telling everybody else what to do. So I think in that regard, it could be better for the whole the league as a whole, like the individual teams that make up the league. I think it's better for them that those two teams are gone. The two powerhouses are gone. Texas is gone, who just always wanted to tell everybody else what to do. They got certain benefits nobody else got. That's why everybody in the league hated Texas. Uh, so from that standpoint, I, I'd be willing to bet you, Ryan, that a lot of athletic directors in the Big 12 would tell me that the first part of my answer is dead wrong, that they think they're better off without Texas and Oklahoma. I was strictly looking at it from a quality year football conference. You lost two powerhouse programs and financially. I don't think you're as good. But I think the health of the league, the relationships between the teams in the leagues – I think that is going to be where you're going to get a lot healthier. What are your thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of value to what you're saying. I just need to see it, honestly. Like, I, it's, it's just one of those tough things because it's a branding thing for me, right? Like, it's right. hard to, yeah. for me to accept that a Texas and Oklahoma, and although, right. like, you kind of forecasted there, right? Like, Texas is a little arrogant, and they like to run things a little bit. But taking the brands out, I mean, it's like any – it's like any – conference losing their two bigger names right like long term i just don't know how that helps you maybe short term the parity increases but i don't know i just i i don't see too many drawbacks for it being a good thing for the big 12 to be honest right now yeah i it, it's hard for me and i think i'm echoing what ryan is saying it's hard for me to sit here and say oh losing texas and oklahoma is no big deal mm-hmm. like that, that that's hard for me right. to wrap my mind around especially right. with who they're replacing them with um, right. because you're, you're losing some top echelon. And then you, from a branding standpoint, I'm not talking about on the field per se at the moment, but like, and you're replacing them with some no name ish type teams. I, I shouldn't say no name ish, but you, you understand where I'm coming from. They're not from. power programs. Not There's power a reason program. Houston was in the AAC. Exactly. Not and the big 12 or the, you know what I mean? Like there's a reason for that right now. There's no question about that, but can anybody say that they're a power program traditionally? No, who's of this not. Cincinnati. Right. They had a good year this year playing against other AAC teams. Where they almost blew it a few times. You know what I mean? So, look, I I will say the jury is still out. Uh, the new media markets don't do anything for me. No. I think they're losing more media attention than they are going to gain. Uh, so I don't think that they... You guys understand where I was coming from, though, right? I, I didn't oh, yeah. say that the league is better. I think the teams in the league are going to think it's better from yeah. the standpoint of you don't have that bully telling everyone what to do, and yeah. you don't have these two programs that are just kind of always going to be at the top of the league, right? Sure. Like where right. Oklahoma just dominated that league for years. It's a wide-open league now. 
defense. Right. That right? Is yeah. So I think for the programs, they're going to think it's better. You're saying Kansas I, has I a just, chance. If I'm the if I'm the Big Twelve commish, I'm not going to think it's better. Yeah. If I'm the AD at Baylor, I'm the AD at Texas Tech. I'm the AD at Houston. I'm going to think it's better. Sure. Right. That's where I'm coming from. I don't think if I was to guess if if I'm uh, with ESPN or whatever, and I'm negotiating a new contract with the Big Twelve, it's not going to be as high without. But they weren't getting that much money to begin with. Okay. That's the thing. Is like the Big Twelve had the second smallest, if not the you know second smallest, I think payout from the from the uh, from from the whatever Fox or an ESPN or whatever they're doing. I think I think the Pac twelve is the only one that was smaller. I don't think they were smaller. At best, they were third, gotcha. significantly behind the Big Ten and the ACC and, and the SEC. Yeah, which is one of the reasons the Big Twelve teams have been complaining. And then of course, like then there's Texas, who's kind of doing all these things that hurt the rest of the league because they've got the Longhorn Network, which is now going to be gone and all this other kind of stuff. So that's probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mike Michaels says, rather beat Ohio State in 23 or AM in 24 if you could only win one. I this hate Brian, these Brian's types of favorite things. questions. I was like, wh- why do I have question. to pick one? How about <laughs> win both? Why do I gotta choose? It's it's BK PST, man. PTSD, right? Let me go talk about Nobody this. asked Alabama. Oh, what, if you had to pick one, uh yeah. Anyway, Ryan, you want to answer this one? Not really. Um, <laughs> like I'm just trying to think. Not really. Not particularly. I mean, I'd say Ohio State, I guess, right? Like it, we talked about the battle of the Midwest and trying to become the main power and continuing the impact of the recruiting that and just the aura around the Marcus Freeman era. So I think getting off to a great start in 2023 would be a huge step. And, you know, Ohio State is in – a relatively the same demographic and you know location and proximity and all that good stuff. So I'll say Ohio State's, I guess. But I, I, again, I really would rather not pick one. Out yeah, of respect, that's... Mike, I'm going to say this: it's Ohio State because that's the next one. Ooh, that's the closest one. Yeah, right? that's still two years away. That's very <laughs> and that's, that's, and that's very coach talky. I like it. Yeah, yeah, it is. And they play <laughs> Ohio State in Week Four. Compared to week one for AM. It'd be a lot mm-hmm. easier to overcome a road loss in the opener than a home game in week four. So that would that would be my answer. I guess again, I hate answering these questions, but I also don't want to disrespect people and just not answer their question. But they keep asking it, even though they know I hate it. Uh so you know, I'm gonna do my best to answer it. But it, so that would be the reason I would go with Ohio State. Matt McCarthy says regarding numbers, what is the maximum that Notre Dame could take in the 23 class? Surely if young Downs and Impemba all wanted to commit. They'd find a way to take 27 or possibly 28, right? I mean, now they could take 35. They just got to figure out a way to get kids <laughs> off the current roster. Exactly. Yeah. I and mean, they got rid of the rule to cap it at 25. And again, the rule was always BS because you could, if you ever signed under 25, you could always put early enrollees back to the previous class. And, and all kinds of stuff. Um, but, I mean, I don't see them. I don't, it, it's going to be really hard to get back to 85 if you go past 27 it'd be really hard to get there, but yeah. they also aren't going to, um, they aren't going to, they're not going to completely, I mean, like, look again, if there are 27 and Caleb Downs wants to come they're they're not going to, they're not going to say no. Right. Like they're not no, going to say no. They'll find a way. <laughs> they'll find a way. Whatever, however that is, they'll find a way. Right. I mean, those guys are that good they're going to want them in the class. So they're not going to turn them away. So right. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, all right. Uh, Skyler says, hey, Brian, Vince, and Ryan, what factors would have to come into play in order for Foskey to lead college football in sacks at the end of the season? I mean, you're going to have to have the lead a lot, right? The other teams are throwing the football a ton, a lot of opportunity. You're going to have to – I mean, I I think really what's going to happen, honestly, is Jason Adam Alola and Riley Mills and the supporting cast just has to be so dominant, right? Takes such a leap forward that you can't put all the attention on Isaiah Foskey. You're going to have to get, be able to work some one-on-one matchups because although Foskey's a fantastic player, if he's working against tight ends staying in and running backs chipping him all the time and slide in protection his way, you're, you're not going to be quite as productive. Like, it's just a natural thing, right? So I think it's the supporting cast has to be fantastic around him, and he has to have opportunities. So that says you're playing with a lead a lot. Yep, I agree with that. I was the, the point I was going to make was somebody else is going to have to step up so that he's not getting double teamed a right. bunch. That's, that's my biggest thing. And I agree about the playing with a lead so they have to be forced to pass and all. I agree with that completely. Um, but more so for me, it's somebody else is going to – and I think there will be those opportunities um, where he's going to get a lot of one-on-one opportunities to to go after the quarterback. I think it's I, – I just – I don't see it happening. I think the other factor would be there just isn't a huge sack guy. I mean, there's always somebody that just has an insane number. There's always like that one guy. You know, last year was Will Anderson was 17 and a half. Chase Young was 16 and a half. I mean, Jalen Ferguson was 17 and a half. Josh Allen was 17. Like the last time there's a number that I think he could possibly get to is 14. And, and you know, because part of, part of me looks at it and says – but my but my caveat to that is part of that also comes down to who you play. And do you play enough teams that throw the ball enough for four quarters? Because here's the thing. You say, well, if you get way ahead of a team, they're going to have to throw a lot. Yeah, but if you're way ahead of a team, he's not playing in the fourth quarter when they're only throwing, right? I mean, so, like, do you play? And I say that is the one caveat to me to say I don't think he can do it is the fact that you do play Ohio State. You do play – Clemson you do play USC you do play North Carolina you there's a lot of passing teams Stanford there's a lot of passing teams in the schedule this year so my initial reaction is no and I kind of pointed to the numbers as to why but then I kind of look at it I say but man there's a lot of passing teams on the schedule this year and I could still see like last year see him getting a sack against Navy you know like so it's not like you can't still get a sack against Navy but man all the other teams on the schedule that I look at them like, boy, there's a lot of teams that like to throw the football on the schedule. You know, Ohio State throws it a ton. North Carolina, BYU throws it a decent amount. Stanford throws it a lot. Clemson throws it a lot. USC throws it a lot. BC's probably going to throw it a lot, you know. But, but you know, then there's UNLV. How how long is he going to play? I mean, they don't have to throw it a lot for him to get some sacks there because he just could overwhelm a guy for a couple sacks in 25 plays. So that's kind of where I say, okay, you know what? Maybe he does have a chance. If those other things you guys mentioned are also true, because if the rest of his teammates aren't that good, they're just not only are they going to chip the protection, but what's going to happen is he's going to force players into other sacks. Whereas if, you know, because like he's going to force, like last year, six or seven sacks that somebody else gets, right? Ryan, is that about, is that a fair number? I think it'd be a little bit more than that, about six or seven sacks. That somebody else is going to get because of him pressuring a guy. Yep. But if the rest of the group's not good, and this is where I don't think there was other great pass rushers this year. I think Notre Dame's pass rush was more about, you know, the blitzes, Foskey, just, you know, a, a great overall thing. 
But if Jason Adamiola steps up and dominates, if Riley Mills can add more production, because this is what hurt him last year, and this is where I'm getting to, the fact that there wasn't really a pass rushing presence from the big end position on first and second down meant that Foskey wasn't getting any of those. Somebody else generated this sack numbers. Right. Where Will Anderson did have a couple sacks like that this year, where it was Dallas Turner on a third down forcing someone to him. Right. right. It was something else forcing someone to him. Everybody gets a couple of those. Well, I don't remember Foskey really getting any of those last year. All mm-hmm. his sacks were him generating the sack. If Riley Mills, more so than anybody else, can provide a first, second down pass rush from the big end position, then that's going to help Foskey too. Cause then he's, you know, you take his 11 and a half. Let's say he gets two more because of the additional passing that they see from the schedule. So that gets him to like 13, 13 and a half. He's going to need a couple more of the, he got this sack because of Riley Mills numbers to to me have that chance to get there. That right. would be my and that and he also sense. you also have to drop Isaiah Foskey in coverage less too, right? Yes, which I think they're going to do based on yes. on what we saw this spring. I think they're going. I think I think they're going to do that. Yes, and I, I guess I should ask if this question originally was just about in the regular season because then you had to factor in Notre Dame plays one less game if they're on a conference championship sure. game, and then if you go to the playoffs and yada yeah. yada, all that good stuff, right? Here's a fun one from Blaine. He is a Big Ten question. Who will finish with a better conference record? Tucker at Michigan State or Franklin at Penn State? My go-, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. I was just going to say I have conviction here. That's going to be Michigan State just off. I mean, because I think that you are returning a better nucleus, not necessarily more talented, but more proven. You had like Jaden Reed coming back and – Peyton Thorne and uh, the Slade kid at defensive tackle. And just there's some decent players coming back from Michigan State, and that program seems to be trending in the right direction. I think you're just kind of treading water if you're Penn State right now. Like I, you have Sean Clifford coming back, who's not a very good quarterback, and just you just keep losing t- players to the NFL. And I, I know you're recruiting well because that's what James Franklin does, but I don't know. I, I just I feel like I trust Michigan State a little more to continue the momentum than Penn State to get out of the lackluster hole they've been in the last couple of years. I don't trust James Franklin at all. Like I, I, if we're just talking from a coaching standpoint, I, I trust Mel Tucker a whole heck of a lot more than I trust James Franklin. So that's definitely part of it for me as to why I would go with Michigan State. And I would say that it's also uh, it it lacks football analysis because I'm looking up the schedule as we speak. But I would go with Michigan State over Penn State just because of that. The schedule. Just because of the the coaching, like, oh, got you. My thoughts yeah. of the coach. I think the schedule's slightly easier for Penn State. I'm actually a little higher on Penn State this year than than some others. Okay. I I think Michigan State to me, Kurt, Mel Tucker has to still prove to me that last year wasn't a fluke. And they did bring back a lot of guys, but the second what made their receiving core so good last year is that they had Naylor and Jalen Reed, and that they had the running game to take the pressure off of it. With all due respect to their running backs, Jake Broussard and all those guys, they're not Kenneth Walker Jr., right? And they got a lot – you know, they got three – they also lost, I think, what, three offensive linemen. But they got a lot of guys coming back. But I just kind of felt like Michigan State was a bit of a smoke and mirrors team last year. Like, they they were more pit than they were the the second – they're they're back to being what they were under Mark D'Antonio, right? But even under Mark D'Antonio, they would have their peaks and valleys because it's hard for a program like that to sustain that success year after year after year because you're not recruiting the same caliber player you're getting at Ohio State. We're just reloading every year. And I know that Penn State lost some guys. And, and your comment about Sean Clifford was, was interesting because I don't disagree with you. 
But the reality is, when Sean Clifford is healthy, Penn State wins. I mean, if he doesn't get hurt last year, they beat Iowa convincingly. And I think they beat Illinois if he's not banged up during that stretch because he got hurt in the Iowa game, tried to come back against Illinois, and just wasn't the same guy. Because I think he understands how to run that machine. I think they got really good talent. And the other thing, too, is they haven't had much of a running game the last couple of years. They just signed the best running back in high school football last year, in my opinion, in Nicholas Singleton. And, and yes, they lost Jahan Dotson, who was a beast, but I like Parker Washington. Keandre Lambert's a good player. I think their defense has got some, some guys that are kind of ascending. And I think their schedule, because the question was conference record. I think their conference schedule is slightly easier. A lot of it's similar. I mean, they both play Ohio State at home. And the reality is this. Michigan State, for whatever reason, under the last five, six years, just cowers when they play Ohio State. They don't, they don't, not only do they lose to Ohio State, they usually get murdered by Ohio State. Where Penn State, even when they suck, gives Ohio State a game. And I think, and then you've, I think they both play at Michigan, I believe, right? So their schedules are very similar. The difference is Michigan State plays at Penn State. And that ultimately is going to be what the difference would be for me is, is that is, you know, like, Maybe Penn State beats Ohio State at home, but then loses at Michigan. I could see Michigan State losing at home to Ohio State, but then losing, you know, but then beating Michigan wherever at Michigan, right? Because I think Michigan's going to take a bit of a step back this year compared to last year. I also think the Maryland game is interesting. Penn State gets Maryland home. Michigan State gets them on the road. That's one of those trap kind of games where Maryland, Maryland's a weird team, Ryan, because they'll they'll just look kind of eh and then just show up one week and you're like, where the heck did this team come from? And you better hope that it's not the week you play them because they're just, they, it's like they do that every year. So it's not an easy answer for me, but I'm leaning towards Penn State. I also think that there's a lot more Michigan State this year is going to be the hunted. And how are they going to handle that? We don't know because Jay, Mel Tucker's been a head coach for three years. Last year was the first year he's had a winning record. Yeah. Right. Say what you want about James Franklin, but he's had a lot of good seasons. He's just not the elite coach he's made out to be. He's not a bum either. But the other part is, what do we all agree on? He can recruit. And he yeah. can have better players top yeah. to bottom than Mel Tucker's going to have. And I'm right. just not quite on the Mel Tucker bandwagon yet because he had one good year in, in what was a, you know, not a great year in the Big Ten after the top, after Ohio State, Michigan, in my opinion. From Bill Fartzer. I think somebody just wanted me to say Fartzer, but that's okay. <laughs> you think... <laughs> If that's his real last name, he's going to be super ticked at you right now. Yeah, I'll join the club. Get in line. (laughs) So Bill wants to know, do you think if we have an excellent visit with Christian Gray, we will be the clear front runner? I I think they kind of already are. They've really really turned the heat up and hit all the right notes with Christian Gray recently. And I I think that – I think if anything, Bill, an excellent visit could be – done deal at that point right like i think that you have a chance to close this one it's not as much getting into the front runner i think you are there now with how you've with the momentum you've grabbed over the last few weeks i think that the visit could be the ending to this recruitment yeah can i bring up two really interesting response conversations david knight asked do you guys think some uh do you do you think some guys go on visits just for the experience and to try to get some gear and brandon plinsner asked why would they get one of gear of a school they're not going to i'm sure some still do though 
I guarantee you that's one of the reasons kids go on visits. hundred <laughs> percent. And and look, I'm, I I was a Notre Dame fan my whole life, but I also I also had a hat of uh, so many other colleges because why did I have a Duke hat? Because it matched shirts that I had. Why did I have a Nebraska hat? Because it matched shirts of clothes that I had. Right, like kids like gear. Right, and they're not like us. They're not like these. Even kids that pick Notre, it's not that they grew up diehard Notre Dame fans. They'll rock mm-hmm. other stuff. You know what right. I mean? And and so yeah, I think that I think that's it. I think I they think like that. the stuff. And you know, and what they don't use, they can give to their siblings or parents or whatever. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I think I mean, are kids only going to schools for gear? No. Is that one of the benefits of it? Heck yeah, it is, man. And look, I had a Florida State hat on when I was a kid. Why? Because I need. I had a shirt that I liked that it would go with that shirt, and you know that's what I rock. So yeah, I and, and I don't think that's changed. I think kids are still that way, right, Vince? Oh, oh now yeah. some of them just dye their hair to match whatever shirt they're wearing. But <laughs> that's a um, fact. You know, it's, it's kids, a lot easier to buy hats, kids. I'm sorry, it's a lot easier to do that than to constantly keep a it lot of different schools, a lot of different things. I mean, it's not. Yeah, it. It is what it is. The one man. thing I never wore, I never wore two things. I never wore anything USC related, and I never wore a Michigan hat. Good for you. Good. Good for you. I, 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 I still like free stuff, to be honest. I mean, if, yeah. if, if Vince wants to send me the school he works at a baseball shirt, I'll wear it every single day. Done. I'll be good with that. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done. It's happening. On the way to Jersey. Largest <laughs> 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 left. <laughs> okay uh luke breeding says any charlie jones news everything i've seen uh is that he's going to go to purdue from everything i've seen reported i see that publicly. as well actually yeah, yeah. i saw that yeah. he's going to purdue yeah. so Where here's an it? interesting one i mean i think it's a pretty easy answer yeah who do you think will end up with more national championships kirby smart or Jimbo fisher <laughs> Well, I think Jimbo's tapped out on his national title. Say, well, the right question now. is, do you think Kirby's going to win another one or not? And, I mean. He has more of an opportunity to win one, I think, than Jimbo does. Because he'll be able to take advantage of, of years like this last year that come along. Right? In 17, similar way. Because Kirby's teams are always going to be good enough to where if you're not on your level, he can beat you. Mm. He's not going to go win a title in the years like 18 and 19 and 20. But in years like 21, 17, there have been years where it's like there's just no great teams. That's when Kirby's going to shine because he's always going to have a very talented roster. They're always going to be physical. They're always going to be somewhat fundamentally sound. And when you're talented and are fundamentally sound, you're going to win a lot of games. And if a team like Bama's flawed or a team like a Clemson or Ohio State is flawed compared to most years, then he's going to sneak a title. If Kirby smarts at Alabama for the next 10 years, I think he'll sneak another title in one year. Mm. Right, I, I, there's no chance Jimbo Fisher wins a title, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, they're just doing it the wrong way. I just don't. Yeah. I just, I don't see it. It's just going to be a bunch of individual guys. Yeah. They're not going to be a team, and those guys fail. Uh, and as soon as those kids get all these big deals, aren't playing, they're going to transfer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And get a big payout somewhere else because that's the only reason they picked your school. So, yeah. And what are you going to do? Complain? Oh, this kid didn't honor his contract of the money we offered him that we said we didn't offer him that we supposedly right. didn't offer him. And, you know, that's now considered illegal. So, yeah, we're going to go complain about it. And right. Just like they got real mad in public about when Eric, when Eric Dickerson turned out them and took the Trans Am. Oh, wait, no, they didn't say anything publicly. Oh, why? Because it was illegal. 
Exactly. Exactly. Nobody's really worried about the shirt that I'm wearing. You guys always, you guys worry about what we wear a lot. Because yeah, well, you got your Gatorade shirt on. <laughs> shirt from work. Yeah. So, you know, it is what yeah, it I've is. seen it's Pride Week. It's about some other thing. It's like, no. Miami. I just uh, walked in the house after working at the Gatorade thing and I had to sit down and do the show. Right. Is that pretty exactly. much it, Vince? That's pretty much it, man. I gotta see what I have to do is what you do. I need the I need my like shirts and I just yeah because to... people don't know it's like I have like four of the gray shirts, four of the dark gray shirts, four of the white shirts, right and they're just right. like I got them like lined up right because like I could wear the same color shirt like four days in a row and you're like Driscoll wear the same shirt every no four different shirts. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. All right, uh, here's one from Rob. He says, uh, Brian and Vince, and when Ryan joins, well, he's joined us. In your opinion, what coach would have been a great hire in 1996 when Coach Holtz stepped down? I'm going to defer this one. I was five. I'm sorry. I, did, I didn't have I enough. 15, I don't have enough. So. Nice job, Mr. Student of History. <laughs> sorry. I didn't know. I, mean, I, don't, for, I don't know. I don't know who was on the market. Or, for me, or, there's one answer and one answer only. There's one right answer. That's it. One. It's Barry Alvarez. Mm, all the connections to Notre he had, Dame. He'd been to the Rose Bowl three years before. Yeah. You know, he'd had he'd, he'd taken a program that was garbage, and, you know, they, they were eight and five his last year. But, I mean, Wisconsin was awful before he took over. And, matter of fact, what's funny is I the first college football game I've ever been to was, was a Wisconsin game the year before Barry Alvarez took over. It was Ohio again at Ohio State. My fifth grade, I think it was fifth grade basketball coach was a dentist. He had a season tickets to Ohio State. He couldn't go. So he, you know, asked my dad if we wanted to go. And I was like, I just love college football. I was Notre Dame fan, but I love college football. So we went, but they were awful. I mean, awful. By his fourth year, he'd take them to the Rose Bowl. Uh, you know, that in by 95, they were three and oh in bowl games, including a Rose Bowl win. Yes, I would have liked to have seen Barry Alvarez take over. Now there's a lot of reasons why I'm not sure he would have taken it because he knew how much the administration was fighting the football team, but I would have done whatever I could have to. And my understanding is they didn't want him. They didn't go for him. It's my understanding. I could be wrong on that, but they didn't want him, which is just stupid. They wanted Davey because Davey was playing the whole political game, stabbing Lou in the back. I mean, Davey got everything he deserved in my opinion at Notre Dame, but uh, yeah, Barry Alvarez is the only right answer to that question in my opinion. Brandon wants to know why would Dante stretch his recruitment into the fall? Would that be a sign that he's not 100% sold on Notre Dame if he needs to wait until the fall to see certain teams' offensive uh, success slash scheme? Well, I mean, he's not 100% sold on Notre Dame. That's why he hasn't committed to Notre Dame. I mean, I think there's always the thought of he may love Notre Dame. I think there's, I think Notre Dame is his leader. I don't think it's really been ever that close. But I mean, I. I I, I think that's kind of being viewed. I take that question a bit of as a negative. I think that's being smart. I mean, if, if, if you feel a certain way, but you want to actually see it play out that way, I, mean, I think that's kind of being smart. I just don't think he's going to take it into the fall. I, I know there's all this talk. Like I, somebody told me that somebody reported, I think he could commit anywhere between now and December. Like, well, okay, we got all the bases covered, you know, like yep, those are the options Maybe between now or December. I still don't think he's going to carry in the fall. I just don't. I could be wrong about that. I just don't. I, Dante just strikes me as the kind of kid that once his season starts, he wants to be focused on his season and his team and winning a state championship again, not recruiting and going on visits and doing all that. I just, 
it would surprise me if he if he did that. It would still surprise me a lot if he did that. And we'll, we'll find out. That's not that's not giving you intel. That's just my read of the kid. Um, you know, in, in that regard. So, yeah, that's kind of how I take that one. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's it's the same thing for me too. It's I mean I mean to Brand's question directly though, if he takes it into the fall, it's that's very unsettling. <laughs> to yeah, say the right. least. it's anybody. Yeah. It, that's when I would start being like, I don't know if this one's going to work for Notre Dame. Exactly. Having said that, however, if the reason was truly because he wants to see how the offenses play out, then I think you know that's where. Well, I'm pretty confident this is going to be a good football team, mm-hmm. and that leads so, me to believe that yeah that it'll end up working out. Cause I, I do think this offense is going to be really good. And if he just needs to wait and see that it's really good first, then okay. I think he's going to see right. what he's waiting, right. waiting for. So Here's Vince, what, by the way, where, where are you right now? 18. 118. Okay. Thank yep. you. It's Bill's question again. I didn't realize that until I pulled it up. Uh, Bill Fartzer uh, has another question. He says, who do you see as the starting three? Why do you stop shaking your head? You're such a child. I know I am. He said four. Yeah. <laughs> I teach. Okay. I teach health. <laughs> All right. Who do you see as the starting three wide receivers heading into week one? Uh, hey, Lorenzo Styles, Braden Lindsay, Avery Davis. I think they're going to go 12 personnel in the first play of the season. But yeah, if it's, if it's eleven personnel, I think it'll be Lorenzo Styles in the in the boundary, Braden mm-hmm. Lindsey and Avery Davis. As of right now, as of right now, that's how I would see it. Mm-hmm. Assuming Avery Davis is healthy by then, yeah. If he's not, I, then I think it'd be either I think it'd be Deion Colsey would be my pick then. If 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 Avery's not one hundred percent healthy, I like, I like that. that. I like right. that. Yeah, I, I would. I would like to see. I mean, we've talked about this before. I would like to see Styles in the boundary a little bit, not all the time, but in spots. I think that he can take advantage of that spot. So that's interesting. I, I would hope that again, we always talk about Colsey and taking that next step. I think the ideal one is that Colsey is the guy that we think we can be. And then styles and Lindsay are playing to the field, but we'll see what happens. This is a good <laughs> one. So bad. Nothing personal says hypothetical. Say your wife plans a birthday party for your almost one year old on for September 3rd, 2022 at 1 p.m. Let's also say that Fox has Notre Dame and Ohio State as their big noon game. What do you do? Well, I think what this shows is that your wife has a better grasp of the Notre Dame schedule than you do. (laughs) Because it's a night game, and she knows that, and that's why she has the party at 1 o'clock. Exactly. He said this, though, because the baby would be in bed most likely by 7.30, so there would not be any back and forth between Mm -hmm. the – yeah controversy so uh, i guess my my funny answer would be well which kid is this <laughs> if this is like one of your first couple then you're at the party if this is like kid five it's like hey i'm sorry i got stuff to do not wrong. Uh, you know not wrong. Um, in all seriousness uh you know i and he's being funny but your kids always take importance and that's the beautiful thing nowadays about the devices that we can watch games on exactly nailed it you know so, so and look yeah. It would not be the first family function at my house where the game was on in the background. So if I'm just a fan and I'm not having to analyze the game, it's on in the background. We're good to go. What like you that. also do is you pony up. If it's a one-year-old, you pony up for some clown or a pony or something. <laughs> something that can keep the kids occupied for an hour and a half where it's somebody else's oh, the one doing the entertaining. 
great. So I don't know if like my pony is probably not the option because it's one year olds, right? I don't know if you're throwing like one year olds up on no. the back of a pony. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, oh, that'll always be, the kids. That'll, that'll be more work for the parents if you bring ponies to a one year old yeah. party. So no, because then it's like you know, it's mom and the moms, and there's more parents that are going to be standing around for the pony show than exactly you know, for whatever else. So you'll have more parental help and support. My, my real Brian answer to this question is why not both? You can have the you can have the game on in the background, just like Vince. Or or you, something very important that you're supposed to get, you don't get, and forget, and then you have to leave, to go get it, and then you get it, and then there was traffic, and you have to you know you're sitting there parked somewhere watching it on your phone. Those are I, I thought I thought I thought you were doing like a Flintstones thing where he has to be in two places at once and he keeps yeah. running back and forth. You know what I'm talking nope. about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't remember that. Sorry. Oh man, Flintstones was a classic. Yeah, but it was a lot longer ago for me than it was for you. So <laughs> that's also fair. That's fair. That's fair. Uh well, go ahead. You obviously had one. Uh, same one I was pulling up. Yeah. All right. Matt McCarthy says, do you think Tommy will put together a game plan for Ohio State that's similar to what we saw from Oregon when they went to Columbus last year? I have to rewatch that game. I don't yeah. remember exactly what the strategy Philosophically, was. Philosophically, yes. It, it'll look a lot different because Notre Dame's offense is different than Oregon's. But the philosophy behind it was Oregon controlled the line of scrimmage and, and built around that. So, yes, I think they'll do that because that's been the recipe for beating Ohio State. Even when Purdue beat Ohio State with the big plays from Rondo Moore, they ran the ball that game. But you look at the Michigan game, you look at the Ohio State or the Oregon game, even the Utah game, it was all built around established line of scrimmage and then build out from that. So I think it'll look very similar to that, yes. Will it be will, you know similar? Yes. In, in From a philosophical standpoint, Matt, I think it'll be very similar schematically it'll get there in a different way but philosophically i think it'd be very similar because yeah. like i mean michigan ran for like 290 yards i think oregon was like 260 something like that averaged over seven yards a carry against ohio state i mean they just dominated the line of scrimmage and i think it'll be a very similar situation in this particular matchup in my opinion yeah Interesting question here from Johnny S. So there, there was some chat about uh, and some questions about uh, the athletic director Jack Swarbrick if he's actually going to leave in a couple of years. Remember that was that thing that was mm-hmm. out there, which I, um, I believe is actually true. Uh, it probably is. I mean, yeah. he's not a spring chicken. I mean, I, I would not be surprised if that was the case. Um, and he works his butt off, so I'm sure it's a tiring job as well. So Johnny wants to know, circling back to the AD, when Jack retires, who would be your top candidate? Which is an I'd, interesting question. I'd have to do, yeah. When they were looking for an yeah. AD last, I'd have to do some research on that. I that's mean, the only thing I could tell you now is like people that I know. Like I know the AD at Purdue is a guy that's a former Notre worked at Notre Dame. The AD at Auburn, I think, went to school at Notre Dame. Like you know those kind of connections. I'd really have to sit and think about it and kind of do some research on it. I I don't follow the athletic directors and. Just because you're successful somewhere as an AD doesn't mean that same plan for success would work at Notre Dame. Animal. There's no question yeah. about that. So I'd, ha- I'd have to look into it. I'd have to think about it, Johnny. It's it's not it's not that it's not a good question. I just I don't I don't know who I, I just don't have an answer. I have an educated it, answer. It, it, yeah, yeah, it's like something. I mean, I make some phone calls. I, I know there's been some people have mentioned a couple names to me in the past. I just can't remember who they were. 
that yeah. were intriguing. I just can't remember who I just like there's one guy in particular, but and it's not always going to be a college, another college AD. Jack Swarbrick wasn't working for another college. Like I've heard, like there's some that I've heard, like someone who's running another organization that's like one of the names, and I don't remember the guy's name, but it was someone who's running an or, a huge organization, sports organization, not like a team, but like a, an organization that would be someone that they would look at. Because again, Notre, running the Notre Dame institution is a whole lot different than a typical athletic director right. who's scheduling games and hiring coaches and all that. Jack Swarbrick's raising billions of dollars and you know, making big deals and, and working behind the scenes on TV contracts and working you know, like the, the playoff oh, committees. Oh, and I mean, he's a, he's oh. a heavy, he's not your typical AD. He's a, he is basically a conference commissioner. Yeah, commissioner. He's an AD. He's all of those things right. all wrapped in one, which right. no which one else. He's hired some of the people he's hired to work more closely with the individual sports because he's doing a lot more of the bigger picture stuff. Right, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I think it'd be someone more like like that. It's a unique position. There's no question about it. And there's no other AD in the country that does what Jack Swarbrick does right. or what he has on the plate. You know what I mean? I'm not saying no one else could be good at it. It's just, it's just different. It's just different. Yeah, I like this next one from Tommy Guns. It's oh, an okay, interesting good. one. Uh, if Br- Brian, Ryan, and Vince served as co-presidents, I guess I'm guessing that's what that means, uh, for Notre Dame for the next three years. Notre Dame wins a championship in year three and is competitive in the other two. What new contract do you offer Freeman prior to leaving? So I got to leave after three years. I don't like that. If he won a title and and I can only be there for three years because then I'm going to retire and run the Driscoll uh, Media Empire. <laughs> uh, let's see here. I mean, what con- what what new contract to offer Freeman? Whatever it takes. Exactly. I mean, if exactly. Marcus Freeman wins the national championship, I mean, I don't know if you can put a number on what that would do for the University of Notre Dame and the University of Notre Dame Athletics Department if the football team won a national championship. Right. Like, I, I, it is hard to fathom the financial impact that that would have on the institution in so many different ways. And so, if that happens and the program's trending in the right direction, like, got to be smart too. Like if you win a title and your last two recruiting classes are junk and you win the title because you're basically, you know, you're Larry Coker, then, you know, I'm not giving that guy a deal, but like we, what we know of, I mean, that's theoretically, but what we know of Marcus Freeman is that's not going to be the case. Uh, I would do whatever it takes because I, I think the unique thing about Marcus Freeman is that right there is the only thing we don't know about him being elite. He is a phenomenal fit for Notre Dame from a character standpoint, from a family standpoint. Uh, He's a great recruiter. He's a genuinely decent man. Like all those things check the boxes of what we think Notre Dame is supposed to be about. The only thing we don't know right now is he's a motivator, all that. We don't know if he's a great head coach from a going out and winning games and championship standpoint. We, we don't know the answer to that because he's never coached a game with his staff. He's coached one game and they lost that game that they led 28 to seven, right? I mean, that's the only game we can go off of. If that part checks out, Vince, then you, you, you have to do whatever it takes to keep him. I agree completely. I mean, just, you have to do whatever it takes. I mean, if, if he needs, have around for a long if he needs $15 million a year, you make it happen. You know, that, I mean, 
have to come from the university. I mean, there's ways to structure a contract so that well, he's why getting do you think Dick Corbett's name is on the head coaching position. It's right. because he's paying for part of that job. But again, if he leads them to their championship, it's not going to be easy to get him an $8 million a year contract. I mean, it's not going to be hard at all. I completely agree so, with that. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, and there's going to be shocked. money coming in to offset whatever salary that you need to give him. Here's here's what I mean by that, right? When does Notre Dame's NBC contract run up? Is I, it 25? Sooner than later. It's a couple of years, yeah. Let, let me let me does when does Notre Dame's NBC contract expire? So let's look at this. It looks like it's the 2025 season. Okay. So we're talking about the Notre Dame wins a championship in year in year 3. So that's 22, 23, 24. From a purely financial standpoint, there could not be a better time for Notre Dame to win a national championship. In your TV because you are now exactly, you are going to have Fox, ESPN, CBS, NBC offering you double, triple what you're making now. Because if they win a championship and they were competitive the first, so basically what he's saying is he said Notre Dame wins a championship in year three. And they're competitive in the other two. That means for the next two years, they're going to have wins over Ohio State and Clemson. They don't have they don't beat them every time, but they will have beaten them. 24, you'll have beaten Texas AM. You will have probably been a playoff team one year and let's say a, an Orange Bowl team in the other, something like that, right? And, and a, that and means a you are going to have some big money games. You're going to be on national, you're going to be the numbers for most. I mean, your your program is going to have because what did we say last week? Notre Dame's brand is as big as anybody in college football and college sports. Their on-field product hasn't been that, but their brand is as powerful as ever. If they then go prove that their on-field product is every bit as good as everybody else's, they're going to have – I mean, Fox is going to throw everything that they can to get Notre Dame over to them. If they're – I mean, think about it. Notre. Think about how many times Notre Dame has got NBC to extend their contract when they sucked. Think about that. How they've gotten the ACC to pay them money when they weren't that good for TV deals. So all of a sudden you're going to have Fox, ESPN, CBS, all these other entities trying to get Notre Dame, who's going to be a free agent a year, who just won a title with a charismatic, young, successful, high character coach. Are you kidding me? Oh, and by the way, Notre Dame is one of, I saw today, Notre Dame is one of two institutions in all of sports to make the to make a New Year's Six football game, the NCAA tournament, and the baseball tournament. And their women's basketball team made the NCAA tournament. Like their hockey team is consistently – those are all the big money sports. And Notre Absolutely. Dame right now is really good at them. And if football becomes a champion, they're, they're going to they're gonna make so much more money. The TV contract alone – is going to pay for whatever you need to, whatever yeah. I would need to pay Marcus Freeman and the assistance too, for that matter. Yes. I mean, you're going to need- Under Armour deal is going to be kind of coming up somewhat soon. Like everything is kind of coming up, is going to be coming up soon where if you can be renegotiate it, you're going to more than be able to pay Marcus Freeman and his, to your point, Vince, that was a great point. The, what you need to keep hiring a great staff, you, you have no problem paying them because of what that would do. So, Yes, in the next three years would be the absolute perfect time to win and, a championship. Armor ends at the calendar year of twenty four, so that would literally be right around the time they win the national championship. Yeah, it'd be like right before. 
Right. Right. So oh. your your negotiations are happening during that season. Right. I mean, that's right. During the two competitive runs and the national championship run is when you're renegotiating that deal as well. So, so the one the one that I read said that their deal runs through the 2025 season. You're talking about NBC. NBC, right? And then Absolutely. you said Under Armour extent, right? So they don't need the championship as much for the Under Armour. It's more about are you in that competitive thing? The championship would be even bigger for the TV deal. Absolutely. But, but the, yeah, the point to what you're saying is those two contracts expire within a year of each other. Those mm, are two, yep. that's your two huge biggest deals. So, yes, that would be, I, I would, I would pay him whatever I need to pay him. I'd like, yep. I mean, it, I'm saying it's, I mean, I wouldn't do this because if it's a serious question and I'm, you know, co-president or whatever, I, I'm not going to be that silly person that just writes them a, you know, here's, here's a blank piece of paper, write down what, you know, but the point is like, I would go to them, what, what, are, what are you asking for? And then I'd get my answer. I'm like, that's it. All right, cool. <laughs> you know, right. Like, fine. Yeah. I would you know? think from what I know about Marcus Freeman is that if he's having success at Notre Dame and we're talking about a national championship, He's not going to be looking to go anywhere else. Yeah, but at the same time, if Notre Dame's only saying well, we're going to pay you six million dollars a year while Mel Tucker's making eleven, no, no, no. absolutely. I'm right. saying I mean, I don't think he's give a blank check. Like I don't think he's going to have to right. do that. My point is, is yes, I don't think Mark Schneider's going to leave just for money, but you also can't be stupid and think that well, absolutely. you're one making. Because here's what some dumb people do. Well, you know, again, because we're running it, so we're not going to make that dumb decision. Well, you want a title with what we gave you, right? So why do you need more? Well, that's called you're a bad business person, and that's why you're in academia. But that's a different conversation for a different day. Uh, you know, but we're we are business people, we do have common sense, so we would understand we've got to make him one of the highest paid coaches. And then I'd have a kicker in there that he's always going to be within the top five highest paid coaches in college football. And and there's gonna be escalators as long as he meets certain standards. So if you make a new year six game or a playoff game or a championship and you fall out of the top five, you automatically get an escalator that puts you back in the top five. That's what I would do. So that, that, that would be where my, uh, my, uh, my deals would go. There's no question. No Jimbo wants to know how Marist's summer is going. It seems like he's Notre Dame's most unicorn like ceiling player. And we don't hear much about him. Well, first of all, the summer for them starts, I think next week. Correct. So like they they report Sunday, they'll start workouts next week. Right. So there is no summer just yet. Um, so that's part of it, I would imagine. I mean, I don't know how much more we can talk about Maris Lufau than we right. already do. I mean, I've, I, with all due respect, I feel like if we don't talk about him enough, I don't know if we're ever going to satisfy your craving for more of Maris Lufau. I mean, we talk about him quite a bit. So, but uh, summers, like I said, summer work. Right now, kids are kind of, they're home, they're with family that, you know, you had Memorial day, they, they'll report back this weekend and summer workouts are going to start next week. So we'll be back at it here. Very, very soon. Irish man, 7114. Why is the media so high on USC? I think they're the at best fourth best on the schedule and at worst seventh or eighth best. What are y'all thoughts? We talked a lot about USC in yesterday's show. That's yeah. for sure. Um, they, they're, they're an enigma, first of all. They're going to have a ton of talent on the outside. But again, it's all kinds of talent. How are they going to play together as a team? And on top of that, what are the trenches going to look like? I think that's going to be their biggest hurdle to overcome. I just feel, Vince, like there's so much 
that we don't know about this team that makes it foolish to put right. them in the top five. Is there a chance in the the, the weak Pac-12 that USC runs the table, goes 11-1, and one, maybe they lose to UCLA, beat Notre Dame, beat Notre Dame, UC, lose to UCLA, something like that, goes 11-1? Sure, it's possible. But it's also possible that they go 5-7, and seven, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's this, there's this huge hype thing on them based off of, well, what Lincoln – like, so you're telling me – Lincoln Riley is going to take some of the same players he had at Oklahoma. Some go to USC. He was already in a weak league. He's still in a weak league. They don't have nearly the line play. I mean, he had two basically defensive linemen from Oklahoma get drafted this past year on defense. Like in like the second and fourth rounds, they have one of the 10 best offensive lines in college football. He's going to a place that has far worse at both. Huge problems coming off a of 4A knee. And simply because you took some of the players you had with you, you're going to be as good as you were. They weren't even a top five team last year. They weren't a top five team the year before. And people are talking. So it, it's just, it's the same reason people were hyping up North Carolina last year. Remember, remember last year, this time Vince were like, ah, the magazines were like, I don't understand why people are ranking North Carolina the top 10. They weren't a top 10 team last year and they lost this, this, All this. That right. Yeah. I, I think, I think Lincoln Riley's overhyped. I think I that there's this assumption that he's just going to walk in and because they got these skill players that they're all of a sudden going to be phenomenal. And are they going to be a better team? Yes. But they got a lot to prove. Oh, yeah. I mean, they right. should be a better team. I mean, that's right. almost a given, frankly, um, especially with the talent that they're bringing in and the fact that they play in the Pac-12. They, they should be better than four wins. Right. But are they a top 10 team? That's rough. I, I don't yeah. see that. I just don't. I mean, I – they're not a complete. They got to show me they can win the Pac-12 first. I'm sure. I mean, winning the Pac-12 is not going to be this easy thing that everybody thinks it's going to be. Where it's like, oh, no problem. We're, you know, we're USC. We're gonna. You, they went four and eight last year for a reason. It's because their roster is not nearly as healthy as people think it is. You know, Clay Helton wasn't this bad in the past. They were this bad because the roster stinks. And one off season of transfers isn't going to change that, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.